Welcome to the Career Growth Podcast, where we discuss how university students and graduates can break into the job market and develop their careers. Let's get started with your hosts, Lucy, Vinay, and Julia. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Career Growth Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome to our crazy show, as you'll find I probably sing. So every week we come here on our podcast to discuss everything and anything about careers and related to career, different career industries and help you stay informed and confident before going into the job market and knowing what type of questions you should be asking when you are interviewing with others. I am your host, Julia, and I have two other lovely co-hosts, Lucy and Vinay. Hey guys, we always do this. <laughs> Literally. We're, we should take tabs. We should like, are we all wearing black t-shirts as well? Mine is green. Uh, I got the memo. So. Yeah. I got the memo. Great. Great. So today is quite a special day for us as we have an amazing guest speaker here. She's an award-winning entrepreneur. She's a TEDx speaker. She runs her own podcast called Strategically Winging It. She's a diversity business coach, a motivational speaker, and a founder of a like-minded female network. She's also um, 2020's most influential woman in tech. And finally, a soon-to-be business or business book author in the upcoming year. Oh, that is a mouthful. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a mouthful when other people say it actually, but I always feel so humbled because sometimes I forget you're talking about me. <laughs> Do you so have I'm one? like, oh, that that's a cool person. I'm like, oh, that that's me. Okay, great. Yeah. You're like, oh wait, you mean me? Okay, okay. This is weird. exactly. <laughs> well, that is amazing. TEDx is definitely on my list. So mad props to you on that one, and also becoming a book author. I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun and also a lot of work I imagine yeah so I'm actually um I, I guess you know whenever, whenever this comes out the truth is I'm, I'm meant to be writing my book now but I am very good at procrastinating but what I tend to do is I tend to procrastinate and focus my energy into getting other bits of work done that I don't necessarily need to do but that needs to you be got done. serious competition for that here yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so, not a platform that you can own I think there's three others on here that can give you some serious competition for that. Yeah, I mean, we, we can definitely battle out. I'm also very competitive, so I think I'd get into, like, I want to win Competitive this procrastination. That's yeah, what we like. Yeah, so are we. <laughs> We're going to get along just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some of the accolades that you've, you've shared, I think, actually come at the back of me probably not having, to, not wanting to do what I'm actually meant to do and then going and doing something else. Now I've kind of got something to show for it, which itself is very um, ironic. And, you know, though I don't recommend anyone to, to procrastinate, I do also think you need to recognize your learning style and your work style. And I work very well under time pressure. Hence, you know, I, I should be way, way further into writing my book than I am and I really hope my editor doesn't hear this but even if she does she knows it's fine we'll tag her on LinkedIn when this <laughs> yeah, comes out <laughs> tag her and then she'll message me and be like last week you were on the tv and this week you're on a podcast but when are you actually writing your book I'm like no it's fine it's uh you know media press is great but yeah thank you so much so much for having me oh uh, yeah no we're very much excited to have you we can basically how we came across these Lucy and I both followed the female lead on LinkedIn and we saw your video and we, this is a conversation we had been discussing privately about how we want to talk about diversity and how we thought how important diversity inclusion would be especially for people just about to enter the job market it was a very serious topic and with you being a diversity business coach who better than to really talk about and give advice to and make sure that they know what they're doing and how to approach the subject especially into the job market where you're a little bit unsure and don't know how to ask harder questions. Yeah, I mean, I graduated in 2015. So, you know, we're still in 2020. It's not it's not that far, um, not that long ago, sorry. And I have to admit that even then, I think I had these thoughts in my mind. So even my dissertation was, you know, not in the norm. So my dissertation was the perceptions of non-conformity and its implications on employability. Fundamentally, I was just seeing if people with an eyebrow piercing or a tattoo or a funky jumper wore be able to be interviewed for financial industries but never did I think that was a career path that I could actually go down you know diversity inclusion the the openness of equality the fundamental rights of not judging people not being biased based on what you read or what you see but actually focusing on their skill sets and their values and so now it's great that five years later I've been able to what I would say is transform my career into one that definitely aligns with my passions but allows me to use my skills and my strengths in, in the most productive way 
And I guess one of my biggest strengths is the fact that I am able to communicate and articulate my views through through the use of voice. Um, whereas, you know, if we go back to kind of blogging and writing a book, I'm not the best writer in the world. And I think that's also why it's why it's taken me a little bit longer to, to get my words down on paper. Yeah, I do feel like with voice, you have the opportunity to say something and with the tone of it, it helps. With writing, sometimes if you struggle with it, you kind of lose that tone or it can be easily misinterpreted in a blog. And you typically want things to be said in a nice way, in the best way with a nice grammar structure versus when it's in voice, you don't really have to focus so much on that and people really resonate with what you're saying versus sometimes with what you're writing but i know i'm the only one who's talked about um, who's had theses on this area lucy you've also written a very cool thesis about gender specifically yeah i did and i think it's such an important like subject to talk about so yeah i did mine in my third year of university just exploring like why there's such barriers to for women to get to top tier positions and, and like executive positions in companies and the research was like it really opened my eyes i think to what women in particular do have to tackle along their career journey you know obviously we're kind of subjected to motherhood and i think that does automatically make us think that we don't have as much of a chance to reaching our goals and it does knock our confidence in that way so i'm really passionate obviously about overcoming that and speaking to obviously very inspirational people like yourself about how we can kind of get out of that mentality and move forward with you know, out that traditional kind of mindset and move forward with what we should be doing, which is equality and diversity. And I think it's so important that we educate like younger people about this from the outset, really, and not leave it to be like a sticky conversation within a company, because I just I don't really know why it's still a bit of a an awkward conversation, really. And people don't really speak up about it as much. And it seems to be like a chore to really kind of tackle it. I think it should be implemented in every kind of business operation and it shouldn't be so, so neglected. But do you think that, Sonia, so like since you kind of left university, do you think you've seen like a huge jump in the attention that this topic has got within companies? Are you seeing quite fast progression or do you still think there's a lot of work to do? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. And I think there's a couple of points there. So if I deal with them one by one, so for anyone who doesn't know my, let's say, professional career trajectory I graduated in 2015 and, and fundamentally fell into the jobs that I was I was given I have had what I would say three and a half jobs and I'll tell you why the first job that I ever took which I never talk about which I can talk about here I was pretty much missold it was actually with a recruitment company and I wanted to obviously find a job myself and they really liked me and I wanted to do something to do with brand comms and and very much people and they were like yeah come we we love you join our company and I think being a grad who fundamentally has worked or worked since I can remember and you know you also have those expectations that now you have a degree you have to have a job I kind of just said yes to the first thing it was extremely triggering I mean my first role I was the only person of color in I would say 20 like middle class white um, recruiters or, or those who identified within that industry. And the way that you have a swear jar and someone puts a pound up every time they swear, well, they actually had one for me, but it wasn't for swearing. It was for every time I mispronounced something, right? Wow. So that to me, at that point, yes, it was triggering, but I didn't have a voice and I didn't know how to speak. So I actually had to fundamentally pretend that my grandmother was sick so I could get out of the role, right? That's how deep it was because I wasn't confident enough to say, I hate you. So I had to say, oh, do you know what? I've got a family emergency. I can't, I can't commute this far. Uh, the second job role I had was the one that I really say is my first, let's say. So that was at a, a data and analytics, analytics firm. And the company itself was, was extremely vibrant and it was growing and it had about 800 people in the office, but I never really felt a sense of community. And I think there's a couple of reasons, right? Some of the, some of the reasons are, are personal, such as I wasn't really on social media. I had no social media between 2015, 2018. So I guess I was slightly detached as well, but equally, I didn't quite have a sense of identity. And so while, when I transitioned from my first to my second role, I always make this, um, this joke but it's not really that funny but it's you know I didn't even get a leaving card like I didn't get a leaving lunch I didn't get leaving drinks even I don't drink but the point is you think that you've committed or you're loyal to a company and then you move and no one actually acknowledges that you're leaving and that's when I founded the LMF network so fundamentally the LMF network was was a brunch club and it was just because I felt super lonely and I, and I guess most 
women especially women of color do somewhere in their career because you you identify as actually if i was to reverse what i just said it's not you identify it's everybody else puts that label on you if you walk into the room and they're like did you know that you're the only woman and woman of color here I'm like oh no i must have not known that but it's they put the labels on you it's not something that you walk into industry with because when i walked into industry i was just a grad right i didn't know that my race counted or my gender counted or my my even the way i articulate my um, conversation so kind of skipping forward to today, that brunch club, which wasn't successful in its brunch identity, is now a global social enterprise in which we enable, empower and educate women in marginalized groups to fundamentally be themselves. We train companies on how they can better uh, create a sense of inclusion and transform the culture so it's value led. And we enable individuals and real people to show up as their best selves and, and kind of embrace that confidence. So to answer your question, the reason why that brunch club that it were has now been able to transform into such a concrete network amplifying diversity is because there is clearly a need in the market and there's a market space opening up for it. To answer your question, you know, five years ago, was this possible? Absolutely not. It's not that it wasn't already happening. It's that it wasn't amplified or magnified with the same magnitude, right? Now you have quotas that you have to share. You have stats and data. And though they're not as regulated as they could be, and there's a lot of loopholes that companies get into, I have to say that we have to be extremely thankful for social media because there is a calling out culture, which I'm definitely a part of, though not always the best thing. And there have been times where I personally have also tripped up with that. There is a culture of it is easier and more accessible to get information online and so that whole kind of premise of lying or pretending or hiding the truth can no longer really exist because if I say something to a younger sibling or if I say something or my manager tells me something, uh, simple things like, you know, average pay or, or pay benchmark, you can just jump online and be like, actually, this is the industry average. This is why I needed a pay rise. That's really interesting. And I think it's really sad, actually. That's really made me feel so sad that you felt like that in your roles. And it makes me feel really sick that anyone could ever be felt like felt so be so lonely like in a role especially um, and feel so isolated but obviously it's amazing how far you've come since then and you know it's obviously given you the passion to to pursue what you're amazing at and that's like you know growing the confidence within other people um and not let them feel so so isolated and it's just such a shame that there's those attitudes and things are still kind of floating around it's just a lot of people won't really understand until they listen to maybe this podcast or like read around actually how real this issue is so when you entered that first role did you particularly look into kind of if they had any like diversity and inclusion like policies or did you think that it was just like did you expect there to be that kind of attitude and those behaviors when you went into that role? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I have to say that as an individual for the first few years of my career, it was very naive, as many of us are, right? But I expected companies to just know that they need to treat their people good. Like, I just feel like that's a fundamental human being common sense thing. And actually that's what companies are getting wrong, right? I always say that companies have P's that they, they prioritize. So, you know, priority people, product, process profits fundamentally companies prioritize their profits but if you're not looking after your people you're not going to have a business people make the business no matter how much robots and ai we're bringing in we still need people to make the emotional decisions to bring the the ei back into the workplace and so to 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 really go into your question which i think is a great question by the way it's extremely reflective is that I jumped into every workplace because fundamentally I either got bored from the first one or it wasn't challenging enough, i.e. I stopped progressing or I was mistreated. So the reason I say three and a half workplaces is because, and again, I'm very open about this, is two out of three workplaces. I've We've mutually decided that that wasn't the workplace for me, right? Take that as you wish. You know, it happened on a Friday night over coffee. Take that as you wish as well. But... <laughs> I didn't show up on a Monday. And that was because I walked into the world workplace. And I think it goes back to how we started the conversation, that that idea of conforming and that idea of having no identity versus an identity that everyone has. So equally, it's not your identity. It's one that you're cloning within, within your mm -hmm. business, within your workspace. And that itself is not diverse, right? Diversity is literally having different people, different thoughts, different mindset, different capabilities. Now, if everyone is hired, 
to look and feel the same so you don't have diversity it's not pure diversity in any in any uh, premise and so i didn't think that there would be so much injustice or biases or discrimination within the workplace towards their own colleagues and when i started raising it and raising awareness towards it and so this wasn't me jumping on the table screaming out loud this was me going to the people who i thought were the best people in the business so you had managers and hr well it turns out that these were, were conversations that they weren't ready for within the business and so the easiest thing to do is to push away the person within the business that's challenging the norm than it is to keep them within the business and progress one of the companies that i was employed for and I no longer put them on my CV because I don't want to be affiliated with them, right? That's really important for me. It's important mm -hmm. to stick to your values. For six weeks, they got my name wrong. My name is Sonia. Like, you mm -hmm. tell me how you can get Sonia wrong because I was named every called everything except my name. But when I messaged HR and, and the senior stakeholder who was getting it wrong, the reply was, well, actually, you, you were really aggressive when you messaged her to say that she got your name wrong. And I was like, well, I did it over Slack. So how you take a tone over Slack, I don't really understand, firstly. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that's your sense of identity. So if you're getting my identity wrong, something that I was born with and I didn't choose, I couldn't choose, then you have no respect. And then I got to the end of the period and I had an extremely rude manager, very rude, extremely verbally aggressive, but they didn't believe me. And I just got to that point where I was like, why would I be on sick leave for six weeks and not get paid if you don't believe me? Like, why would I do that to myself? And the point I'm trying to make is I'm extremely vocal about diversity inclusion. I'm extremely, extremely open about what's happened to me in terms of my own experience. One, so that it raises awareness. We can talk about this because as victims, we often shy away from sharing our story because we're afraid of what it will do to our future progression, promotion or, or employment. Second is to raise awareness in companies to say people talk, right? So as much as you think you're keeping it under wrap, eventually information will come out and it will it will affect you and thirdly and most importantly it's because only by talking and by sharing our experiences can we start changing what we call the norm and by challenging these circumstances if i was to stay quiet then maybe another person is going to have a penny jar or a pound jar for the way they articulate um, another person is going to have, have their name mispronounced for six weeks another person is going to be told to calm down or that they're too aggressive and these are the tones or these are the attributes that we associate more with women than we do with men and that's the problem the problem is that the inequality in equality exists that the senior stakeholders who we believe are going to have our best interests don't and that businesses still prioritize profits over their people whereas the culture and generations are changing right gen z's and the alpha babies they don't care about your money they care about values and ethics and fluidity and are you doing the right thing because if you're not they don't want to be a part of what you're doing because they can go and make their income right the average millennial now has two to three different income streams imagine what someone who's been born with side hustles, digital technology, and and this like really entrepreneurial mindset's gonna do. Yeah, no, absolutely amazing points. And thank you as well for just being so open about your experiences, because I think this will be really refreshing for people to hear because, you know, obviously a lot of people probably might've had like a similar experience as well. So it's really good to know that people aren't alone in this. And it's just awful, like it's really, disgusting and I hope the company that you know this happens to you like within I hope someone does listen to this and realizes what what they did as well and uh, hopefully that doesn't happen ever again moving forward so just to kind of develop on that before I pass the baton on to my other colleagues I know we've got plenty of questions what would young professionals what should they do when they come across a lack of diversity and inclusion throughout their university career and when they begin their first professional job search Great questions. I think the first thing to do is to really take a step back and think what kind of company do you want to be associated with? I think that's very important. Traditionally, people wanted to work for the big names because it looked good on their CVs. And of mm -hmm. course, that trend still exists. You know, the power of branding is such. But in order for us to really create change, we need to reduce the amount of applications these companies get, big or small. And especially those companies that actively we know are not diverse or inclusive. And we need to go and place our trust in, in you know, different companies and, and kind of different mm -hmm. cultures. The second is to have conversations with staff internally who work there or read reviews through message boards, Indeed, Glassdoor, 
and work with communities to understand how the internal ecosystems actually are. And the third is to remember that when you are working for a company, it's a two-way relationship. It's like dating. It definitely is not you are working and that they give you nothing back. It's a constant relationship that you have to keep progressing. And the way that you progress when you're, you know, dating someone is you meet regularly, you have conversations, you ask them how their day's going, you split the bill or one person pays for one and you pay for the other and you pick up the tab and you have this, you know, activity-based kind of really fun period in the beginning where you're getting to know each other. That's the same when you go into the workplace. It's not, hey, you have a job and you're my slave. It's, right, we're committing to your progression whilst you're committing to keeping us profitable. That's the pact that we've made. And the last thing, the most important thing is young people, and I don't mean young by age, I mean young professionals who are new in the industry, who are transitioning, who are looking into going something different, shouldn't be afraid of using their voice, be that you know through verbal communication or written communication, to share what someone or something can do better. The only difference is that you need to do it in a way that is strategic and structured. So systematically, it will make a difference. And that systematic change means going to your line manager, your HR, your, your mentors, your sponsors. It doesn't mean, you know, blasting out an email to everyone and making a major statement that you haven't already t- spoken to those who are in more, more senior positions that, than you are. And that is not because we shouldn't be doing that. That's because fundamentally that can impact you within your current workplace and your next role. So it's really important to think about your future self as much as it is your your today self, because you don't want to be, you don't want any discrimination because you chose to stand up for what you think is right. Thank you so much. That was amazing kind of example as well, like comparing it to obviously dating and stuff. It's, it's so true. And just to quickly add, I always say when I go to a restaurant, I do talk about food a lot. So I do apologize in advance, but you know, I will always say you know send a bad meal back but in a really polite way because I say like you know it helps them improve and progress so then other people don't have to experience like you know a bad meal and then you know lose out on on profits because people won't come back for for the meal so yeah it's really kind of really interesting and I think what you're doing obviously speaking up about it so much is is just so admirable and I really hope that that kind of continues but I will pass the baton baton on to my colleagues now because I know I am taking over a little bit because I've got so many questions um so yeah Binet do you want to ask anything else sure no I was going to say thanks Sonia for sharing your experiences especially about your first job that must have been quite difficult so for someone who's listening to this how can students and graduates look for companies that are actually focused on diversity and inclusion and do take that seriously when they're considering a job search so that they don't have an experience that you've had? Yeah, it's such a great question. So first thing I want to say is identify the skills that you currently have and the skills in which you want to progress, right? Skills are really important. And then you can place them within specific industries that may be ones that you want to go down. The second is to use alternative methods to understand which companies are diverse, inclusive, and really supporting community growth. A great example being I run the NMF network. We have a list of companies that we actively work with because we know that they are diverse or inclusive. They are very much committed to growing their people, you know, and equally there's other communities in the ecosystem. I work for Hustle Crew, YSYS, Fan and Flourish, Babes on Waves. I mean, I mean, there are just some there are so many girls in marketing as an example i'm doing a conference for for them so by the time this comes out i would have already done that but the point being there are so many communities out there that are focused purely on diversity inclusion that you should get in touch with them to say hey i'm thinking of going into this company what is your thinking what is your thoughts do you have anyone that works there and the last thing is exactly that like ask people and ask around i think social media is absolutely beautiful for this let's say i have a linkedin connection who works in a company in which you're interested in, drop me a line and say, hey, Sonia, I've seen you have a connection, you work in this company. Do you mind possibly introducing us so I can ask them some questions about their working culture, their working lifestyle, and what really happens within the business? You know, word of mouth marketing is still the strongest form of marketing. You know, 83% of our decisions are based on what other people say. We look at recommendations, referrals before we buy a holiday, a hotel, even go to a restaurant. Why are we not doing the same when we go to a workplace? And this is not me saying I'm I'm of the point that I don't necessarily believe Glassdoor and I don't believe total jobs or et cetera, et cetera. The ones where they're have reviews 
And the reason I tell you this why is because I've worked for a company, I worked for a few companies that have incentivized their employees internally to write good reviews on them anonymously so that it increases their ratings, right? I know because I definitely did not do that because I didn't believe in the company, but I've been in conversations where they've asked for that to happen. And that's why I think that those reviews are not pure. You know, it's like when you start a business and actually the first 10 reviews you have are probably from your friends, families, or external acquaintances because it makes you look better. From a graduate perspective, I'd also just want to re-echo the point that it's okay to take some time out and not rush into a job. You are going to be working for the rest of your life. Like it's completely fine just to chill to travel, to read, to create, to focus on a side hustle, to try and see what else is is out there, purely because the rest of your life you're going to be working. And the last thing I would say is have questions ready when you are going to interviews. An interview is not just for them to get to know you, it's for you to get to know them. So ask them questions like, you know, during the 2020 pandemic, how did you support your people? Did you send them computer chairs and a computer desk home? Did you support them in their learning? Did you provide flexible working? What are your paternity policies? Because actually, it's not the maternity policies that define a company. Most of the time, it's the paternity ones, because they don't amplify the rights for men. And what was your response to Black Lives Matter? And what have you strategically done at the back of it? Do you have someone who loses your DNI? If so, is that a systematic change or is that a consultant? Is that somebody that you've brought in-house? What is a typical career progression or trajectory look like? And how much support is giving to an individual who wants to grow within the firm or company? What are some inclusive benefits that you offer, which don't revolve around the culture of alcohol or binge drinking or pool tables? Because that's what tech seems to offer everyone nowadays. You know, so think about the questions that you want to ask and make them very specific to, to the topic in hand. And don't be afraid to ask these questions because companies should be expecting these questions to come in to the conversation because the, the pandemic has changed, has changed things. And actually, I think 75% of the time it's changed things for the better. Agreed. And kind of to jump in there, Renee, um, I think what you're saying is a great way to show young professionals how they can show up and speak out. Because I feel like a lot of the times they're afraid to because they are so, I don't want to say the word impressionable, but they're so new to the job market. They don't want to do anything that could potentially hurt their chances of getting into the company, especially when it comes to asking questions. I've spoken to many graduates, so I constantly encourage them, ask questions. It's not just for them. It's also for you. They're also being interviewed. You're not just being the only person interviewed. And they're just like, well, I'm afraid to ask them because what if I say something and at the end of it, they say, oh, well, I've that was, they made it very awkward. I don't really want to talk to them anymore. And I don't want to do anything to disturb the, the status quo. And I think as you're saying, things have changed and it's in incredibly important to you and the person seeking the job that you ask these questions. So you don't put yourself in a bind and you know where the company stands and you spend time thinking of who this company is because you do spend the majority of your week working for this company. That's where most of your time is going to be invested and you want it to be invested in a good place. This is a conversation that I feel I have been having a lot with others. I'm sure Lucy and Renee as well. And some of the times I have come across people who think we've been talking about diversity and inclusion for months and months and months and months. So why are we still here talking about it? Things have things have grown, things are fine, which I'm sure you'll have your own response to that. But um, what would you say to someone who said, we've been talking about it, why are we still talking about it? Yeah, I mean, Fundamentally, that's a question which I get asked every day. And it's a question that I ask every day. So purely because I'm waving the diversity, inclusion, equity agenda or flag today doesn't mean that somebody wasn't doing it 10 years ago, right? There are mentors, sponsors, coaches in my ecosystem, beautiful ladies and men, or those who identify as gender neutral, who are, are annoyed because this is the conversations they were having with companies 10 years ago five years ago. And so even today, the question is, why are we still talking? I love the point you've made, but I want to progress that statement into, it's not a question we're asking anymore. It's a statement. It's why are we still talking about it? We're not asking that question. We're saying, I'm done with talking. I'm going to challenge and do something about it, right? If we go back to business organizations, they are running because people are buying their services or products. How do we really make an impact as consumers? We stop buying their services and products. How do we really make an impact? We stop applying for their jobs. We start sharing our opinions contextually online with real advice as to what to do. We open up such conversations and say, do you know what 3.5 jobs that I was in, I was discriminated in these 10 ways. Here's what you should be looking out for, but here's also what you can do at the back of it so that it doesn't happen to you again. 
And so to answer your question, we need to transform that question into a statement. Why are we still talking about it? We need to start doing the smaller actions that we can. So I say three things we can do. We can show up, we can speak up, we can stand up. So showing up means genuinely showing up to the workshops, the webinars, the conversations, not necessarily having an opinion or sharing an opinion, but listening, right? Showing up means to listen. Speaking up means then, okay, in a way that you can articulate, speak up for yourself or someone else on behalf of them. How can you do that in the most justifiable manner? And where are the stats or the data to prove it and back it up? And then standing up means actually getting your agenda out and protesting for what you think is right. That may mean quitting your job. That may mean, you know, stop purchasing from from fundamental groups. Or that may mean acknowledging your own privilege and seeing where you can open the doors for someone else. A great example being Black Friday is just gone, right? Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing had items of clothing for like 99 pence. Some of the items were like five pence. Like that's ridiculous. And at the same time, during the pandemic, there's been clear news articles about the mistreatment of certain companies and fast fashion and who they employ within within kind of, uh, you know, entities in Asia and how much they get paid, as an example. So if we are very determined to make a difference, then we stop purchasing these products so that companies know that what they are doing is wrong. But if we are fueling them, and we are purchasing, we are buying the baskets, and we are giving them the money they need, uh, generating the revenue, and then we're going on Twitter to be like, hey, what is going on? Actually, we're a part of the problem, yeah, right? That's, that's, not, that's not to say that we can't acknowledge our privilege, because actually I spoke about this with my siblings just last week, and some people don't have enough means that they can't, that, that they, so the point I'm trying to make is some people don't have enough income that they can buy anything that's not fast fashion related right? So absolutely. This is not to say that we shouldn't buy those products. This is to say, as an example, that we as consumers should be very mindful of the decisions we're making, what the impact will be to another person or to greater society. And in the juxtaposition that we ourselves have when we jump on the internet and say, but actually all you did was post a black square, but I'm still going to go and buy from your sale and give you the revenue and prove to you that I'm still a consumer, but I'm very mad about what you've done. What's that going to do for them? And what's that going to do for you? You're listening to the Career Growth Podcast. Do you have a question for one of our hosts? Send us an email at thecgpodcast at capital-placement.com. Great. I think, especially as you can probably tell, I'm from the US. So the Black Lives Matter movement was quite big. And um, it was very weird being in the UK when everything was going on. And it was also the protests were happening in my home city as well. I think one of the ones I think of, um, which didn't last here very long, was Chick-fil-A. So Chick-fil-A is a big staple, especially in Texas. Everyone, there's, you know, queues and queues to get their food. And, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A was, was one of my favorite in the years past until it kind of came out of what they supported and who they supported. And it, particularly against the LGBTQ community, I was not for it. I had friends in the LGBTQ community who we also discussed about this and they were not for it. And it, it took a conscious effort for us to no longer buy Chick-fil-A. And though, and we've had friends being like, Chick-fil-A is so big. Like, what does it matter if you don't buy anything? They're still going to have money. And it was very much, it was like, you might be right. But at least, like you said, I am not fueling them. I am actively taking a stance against them. Even if my stance is so small that they don't see it, they still have three less customers than they did the day before. And it was quite amazing to see that they didn't last long in the UK. And I think that was something that was mind-blowing to me, that they, they didn't even make it through the six months versus they were in the US and live for long, long. And that's not to say the UK doesn't have problems because it does have problems of its own, but it was a drastic measure that I hadn't seen in any other country. But this sort of leads me into my next question, which is more about unconscious bias. We all have it. Even if we don't think we have it, we tend to have it. So how do we work to understand our unconscious bias and how do we work on undoing our unconscious bias? How do we bring it to conscience and actively work to overcome it? Such a great question. The first thing I want to say about this is there's a lot of studies out there that say unconscious bias training doesn't work. It um, amplifies the unconscious biases that already exist. And so though I understand the sentiment, for me, the first thing comes from education, right? So to answer your question, unconscious bias training if done the right way, is education. Unfortunately, we are in a society based on, you know, like you said, you're from the US, I'm from the UK, but culturally, and my, my heritage is from, from Pakistan. So I've been raised in the UK with this constant battle of I'm not 
white enough to be white, I'm not brown enough to be brown. Like fundamentally, I'm somewhere in, in, in the middle because my parents have tried to raise me some kind of Pakistani way and my grandparents will reference, you know, but in Pakistan, it was done like this, but it's like, actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a British woman. Like I've, I've grown up here. I, I do what young kids do in this country. And so the point I'm trying to make is a lot of our unconscious biases come from one misalignment of where we are currently versus where we want to go to a lack of education around the subject and topic. So and a really, really simple example, like a really simple example. Just this week, there was news headlines that the um, co-founder of Zalando is stepping down because he is prioritizing the career of his wife, right? That's made news headlines. Why is it that every wife who's given up a job for a man has not made news headlines? Because there are biases against this. It goes against the grain. It's the misalignment of what society thinks needs to be done versus what's happening. So how we deal with unconscious biases, one, and how we how we actively kind of find our own is one through education. Secondly, it's through self-awareness. A lot of self-unconscious bias, when I go through training, people don't even know that they have biases which exist because they don't acknowledge their own privilege. So for those listening, your privilege is anywhere where you are the majority state. If you're a man, you are privileged. If you are straight, you are privileged. If you are white, you are the most privileged, right? And that's not me just saying it out loud. That's what even the Harvard Implicit Bias Study has proven that 75% of us prefer white people to black people, regardless of where you come from. So we have an innate bias that actually the lighter you are, the better you are. I come from South Asian background. There was so much anti-blackness that exists within our community to the point where all the adverts when we grew up were lighten your skin and then you will be fair and lovely and you'll be able to find a husband. And the point I'm trying to make there is unconscious biases already exist within the media and they're perpetuated with the technology and with digital information and, and with you know the, the amount of mass production that we have around us. It is up to us to, to actively choose to educate ourselves on what is our unconscious biases where do we say yes to things where we shouldn't? Where can we stop the, the consumerism and consumption of these good products and services? And fundamentally, how can we teach others around us without it being an argument, but it being very much around reflection on the ignorance we already have? You know, I have grandparents and they have their own biases, but I make it my duty to go and educate them so that they also understand why some things may be wrong and some things may be right. I do the same with my parents and I actively ask people to do the same with me. Unconscious biases fundamentally start from education. If you can have a trained facilitator, that is that is the best thing to do. Otherwise, there's tons of information on the internet, right? I've written tons of articles on it myself, which you can find through my website or through LinkedIn. I think the biggest excuse is when people say, one, I don't know where to look, or two, there's nothing out there for me. Both of those I think, are complete nonsense because... When you are in search for a dinner, you know that you can go on Google and type in restaurants close to me and something will come up. So you know when you want to find something, you seek it and you actively will find it. You know when you think that you're in the wrong and this is going to go against your grain and it's going to basically open up a can of worms that you're not ready for. That's when you start making excuses. Mm -hmm. And to go back to what you're talking about, diversity and inclusion in the, in, in the beginning, the reason why we are still at this point and we are talking and companies are not walking the walk is because as people, as humans, we are, we are amazing. And we are so, we are so amazing at finding loopholes and making excuses, you know, going back to how we started the conversation, procrastinating, putting our energy and focusing on something that doesn't really serve our purpose today that we need to get done. And then what really needs to happen, we just push it to the side and think, okay, we'll think about this tomorrow when tomorrow doesn't really ever come. Yeah, you're completely right. And I think, you know, the education system there's a lot for them to kind of learn in terms of you know what they need to be teaching and it's definitely a topic that needs to be taught earlier on but on this podcast a lot of the things we do we we want to talk to people listening about how important it is to really kind of build your practical experience and build your confidence to you know utilize the internet like the resources that we are blessed with in this generation and you know how important it is to gain kind of practical experience and do independent kind of things that will help build your skills in that way because I think we have always been quite reliant on the path that education kind of takes us and actually I, I don't think it's it's very worthy anymore I mean obviously sorry to anyone listening that might be 
working at a university or something but I think there is so much to be done in that sense but speaking of kind of confidence I know obviously it's a lot easier to say to someone just say it then actually you know they might have a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of deeper issues so what is your advice for those feeling like they aren't being represented in their industry but are afraid to speak up I relate to this so much because that was me for so long until I was left with no choice I didn't choose to and I, and I repeat this that in the kind way that you acknowledged me and introduced me some of those accolades I didn't choose to have or to go towards it was because I had no circumstance and I couldn't go back into the corporate world because I, I couldn't be myself right so I chose to go on this entrepreneurial journey which is extremely difficult and you are fighting every day as a DNI consultant every day is like trying to find a new job having to negotiate your pay your salary your budget and trying to prove that you are the best candidate so I go this through this daily and to answer your question on if you don't have the voice and not everyone does and that's completely fine there's a few things you can do one is to find a coach a mentor or a sponsor now these are different areas a sponsor is someone who kind of champions you a coach is someone who gives you direction through activities or exercises and you know kind of facilitates your learning a mentor is someone who more guides you through their own lived experiences and, and provides you knowledge through a, a knowledge sharing kind of platform whereas the informal or, or formal the reason for this is you can then learn from others experiences and see how they have managed so the nmf network we have a beautiful mentorship scheme that we've just finished the first um program and we're launching our second one in february with the likes of stripe charity learning consortium and knowledge transfer network so mentorship is really important the second is as graduates and these are conversations which i personally have had so many of especially through the likes of instagram because i get dms all the time graduates feel like they can only find that professional support from those within their industry but actually if you are looking for someone who looks or feels like you reach out beyond your industry and definitely ask your network power of social media is such that you can send a message on linkedin or you know kind of post it and say i'm looking for someone who looks and feels like me can you connect me with someone it's as simple as that and people will definitely say yes the third is to know that your voice regardless of may it come out of your vocal cords or if it's your voice through written text or another another way definitely does matter we live in a society where unfortunately it comes to a point that after the age of eight nine we're telling we, we're constantly being told to hush and then we find our voice again as teenagers and then we get into the workplace and we think right well i must have made it because now i'm an adult and then you're being told to hush. And then you and then you think, well, I thought getting a degree would mean that I'm an adult now and I'm able to have an opinion. And that's normally not true. The point I'm trying to make is every voice matters. Your voice matters because it could be the difference between someone who has the confidence and someone who doesn't. It could be the difference between change and a change not being created. So use your voice in the way that you best fit via that kind of speaking out loud writing in an email, redirecting that conversation to, to your peers or those who may be more senior experience. And the last is to find someone who you consider an ally. So an ally is a doing word, an ally is anybody. And I would say traditionally it's uh, connotated with, with men, but actually an ally is anybody who is willing to support you and to give you some advice, information or open doors. A great example being that we currently have an intern who has just graduated. So I'm using a, a real experience and she graduated from Westminster and she studied, um, she wants to go into research, but she's dyslexic. And so she has her own kind of invisible disability that she's not sure how to coordinate. And she'll have no problem with me sharing this online. And so She's volunteering and, and kind of interning with our, our network and we're giving her tasks to build her skill set. And it's definitely built her confidence to the point where she has interviews and she's writing blogs and she's redefining her own narrative. So share where you think you may lack and share it with people who can definitely open doors for you and encourage you through different tasks and activities to build your skill set and to know that you are good enough and you are worthy. And the last thing I would say is don't compare yourself to people online, right? It's really important to, to echo that. Social media is a snapshot in somebody's life, a snapshot. Because I post a picture of myself in Thailand today doesn't mean I was on a holiday. It means that I've gone through my Instagram feed, uh, sorry, I've gone through my gallery and posted a picture that I took two years ago. But someone who's on my social media may think, oh, actually today Sonia's on holiday. I wish I was on holiday. Oh, I wish I was able to go to a beach. How come my life sucks, et cetera, et cetera. And you go down this spiral that you're not even realizing. Or you see someone who's gained in a promotion. You think, wow, they've only been there a year, how they've gained a promotion, but you don't know the hard work they put at the back of it. Or if I am sharing, you know, 
I've just been named one of uh, Marie Claire's future leaders in the world, like top 10. That's, that's amazing. Like I'm extremely proud to be, you know, with the likes of MPs and kind of, you know, media superstars, but that's not to say that I haven't worked really hard for it for the last two and a half years. So that moment of success, that post that's been shared, don't look at it in a sense where you're comparing, where you are thinking, right, why am I not good enough? Why am I not capable? And social media is, is created so aesthetically it's pleasing, right? Think about your mental health. Think about, are you following the right people? Are they motivational? Are they really educating you? Think about, are you following diverse voices online? Are you actually listening and, and reading what different people have to say and taking their content to next levels? And and most importantly, the final thing I want to say, because I appreciate I probably have digressed, is is to believe in yourself. I don't know why we graduate and then or kind of, you know, go through alternative education and get to a point where we're like, right, we've we've really worked hard for three or four years. And then we get a degree and we've ha- literally had the certificate and then we come into the working world. We just think we're not good enough. Actually, what you need to do is take a step back and reflect on all the hard work you've put in, the successes you've had, the failures you've had and what you've learned from them and say, I deserve to be in this position because I worked hard for it and I'm ready for it. And that's the mentality that we need to go into, which unfortunately a lot of us don't have anymore absolutely amazing points and especially about social media as you mentioned earlier on in the episode as well it's obviously such a great tool to use for speaking up and getting your opinions out and helping and supporting other people but there is that toxic side as well that really does make you compare your lives to others and it is horrible and it's it's a shame that our society is kind of really surrounded by social media and it is our kind of top form of communication for like we're obviously the days where you used to actually meet your friends and catch it properly and you didn't have to project this false image that you're happy all the time because mental health is real especially and it's something that can't just be masked on a digital like platform all the time one person that I absolutely admire and I'm really happy with at the moment I'm sure you've heard of her is Florence Given I completely admire how she's trying to basically educate like the younger generation as well about this toxic kind of side of social media and how we should you know not compare ourselves and everything like that so I'm really you know happy that you brought that point up and I think it's really important for every listener we have on this episode to to really kind of do your research about this and reflect on it because I think social media will (laughs) spiral out of control if this isn't communicated properly yeah so I use a quote that I used in my TED talk so my TED talk is called please come online and it fundamentally was about the fact that I was lonely and I didn't have social media and I went online and I found community but at the same time I found a lot of controversy and that's what really challenges challenges you as a person and my mother always says if you are kind of old enough let's say to to be online and to create a profile and to have this identity on the internet, then you must be responsible and accountable for the content you're sharing, your your opinions that are being provided, the accounts that you're following and, and who you're associating with. So again, we need to be accountable and responsible as, as humans, as adults, as young people to say, who am I associating with? Who am I following? Who do I want to, to surround myself with? And it's extremely important that we recognize that both within the workplace when we start working, the jobs and careers that we're going into, the companies that we want to be associated with, the comments that we want to share, but most importantly, our presence online, because we spend nearly three hours a day online. And I don't mean on Zoom calls, I mean on social media. Three hours of your day is a very long time. So if you are around content that is inclusive and you are around content that isn't representative and you are around content that doesn't really add any value, then you're just storing junk and junk and junk in your brain. And if I could give you a a prevalent kind of analogy, it's like the trash can on your laptop, right? At some point you have to delete your files and you have to put it in your trash can and you kind of store it to, to delete once and for all so that you have a clean start because your laptop doesn't have enough memory. Our brains work the same or similar way. It's at some point we need to delete the trash and get rid of it because we actually don't have enough memory. We don't have enough base in our brain for all the overload and for all the junk. So we may as well fill it up with rich content, educational content, really informative concepts that help us become better people than just overload our kind of you know junk bin and think, right, we, we're learning because we're not. Since we're coming towards the end of our recording, I wanted to ask, is there a wrong time to speak about diversity and inclusion? Do you know what? It's such a great question. And 
I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. I don't think there's a right or wrong time. I think I think it needs to be relevant or it needs to be clear. So is this a relevant time? Is it a clear message? Not is it the right time or the wrong time? Because I don't think there's a right or wrong time to speak about anything. Because if we think about history and the way that life and the world is changing, no one's thought, is this the right time to, to do this or the wrong time to do this? They just did it. Because contextually, in that moment, it was relevant, it was clear, it was necessary. So to answer your question, no, there isn't a right or wrong time. There is a relevant way of saying something. There is a clear way of saying something. There is an appropriate way of saying something. But you shouldn't ever think that it's wrong for you to share anything around diversity, inclusion, or equity. Because it goes back to all the points we've made and to echo, unless we start sharing and, and communicating and really amplifying or at least highlighting change is not going to be made, right? We are not going to decrease the pay gap. We are not going to uh, decrease inequality. We are not going to amplify the voices of, you know, those who are diverse in ethnicity and in color and race and background. What I have to say is I have a love-hate relationship with the word diverse and diversity anyway, because I feel like because I don't tick the I am a white person box, I'm diverse which makes no sense because actually everyone is diverse because everyone is different. So what we're trying to say is in order to be truly diverse and inclusive, you must truly be different and everyone must add something different or bring something different to the table as if it was like a potluck dinner, right? You don't know what someone's bringing, but you're like, hey, it's an open dinner, bring what you can make and let's have a good time. So going back to, to your question, it's not a right or wrong. It's a relevant, a clear, a consistent and appropriate way. So a great example being anything you feel you think you should note down in an Excel with dates, times and points and send it to your HR or to your managers. You shouldn't really CC your CEO. And I talk about this through experience and send him or her a four page email without talking about it to your senior managers or HR. Because I've done that. That wasn't the right thing to do because it wasn't the relevant thing to do. Contextually, I could have done it differently. It wasn't appropriate, right? If you are in a meeting and you can see a colleague has been interrupted, definitely you should stand up and say, hey, I don't think we finished hearing your point. Do you mind repeating it? If you have been in an organization for less time than your senior, let's say, you know, counterpart, and you have had a progression or a pay rise, you should question that and say, okay, how comes I was able to progress and this person wasn't? What are the learnings that we can share with him, her or them so they can also grow as well? If you are in a place where you are helping with recruitment or CVs and they're looking at a top 10 university versus another you know, university that is one of the 300 that exist in the UK or, or so forth, and they're saying, no, actually, they're not from the top 10, we're not going to hire them. That's when you should speak up and say, no, no, no. Why should we not hire them? What makes them different? These are the biases that we should be very, very vocal about. The last thing is, and this is because this comes up in workshops quite a lot, so I want to share. When you are sharing an opinion, your opinion should be from the I. It should not be from the we, right? For you, this company might be inclusive. That doesn't mean that it's the same for everyone. So don't talk on behalf of your company, your peers, your colleagues, talk on behalf of you. Because what happens is we can have and obviously in the time of COVID, we're having virtual training sessions or virtual workshops. And if someone says, actually, this is a really inclusive company and they've treated me really well as, as you know, a woman in tech, actually what you've done is you've just put another barrier up for someone who wants to share their opinion and now is thinking, actually, I can't go against the grain because this person who I thought looks and feels like me and now says something that I can't, I can't challenge. So the point being always taught from the eye, I think is inclusive. I think I belong. I think it's culturally acceptable, not as a consensus. This is what we believe as colleagues, because you don't know what your colleagues thinking. You don't know what they're believing. You don't know what's happening in their daily life that you're not aware of. And that's both important for our physical, mental and, and, our, and our community health. And I think, you know, community health is also really important because as we go forward, we realize a sense of community and belonging is very important. So we have mental health, emotional health, physical health and that and that health when it comes to community, belonging, identity. Which, which is another kind of, you know, dimension that we haven't even started thinking about. Great points. Yeah. Thanks for that as well, Samia. Um, just one last question. This kind of builds on something that we touched upon earlier. What can we do as a society to make the conversation around diversity and inclusion 
more normalized and less of a touchy subject so that in five years time we're not back on another podcast talking about this where we kind of feel like not much has been achieved in the last five years i suppose just because we're not talking about it so if you had a magic wand and you can just say this is what needs to be done what would that be yeah great question so i guess if i break it down into three that may make a lot more sense so the first is for companies companies need to be transparent with their data currently in the uk companies that over that have over 250 employees etc cetera, etc cetera. like there's a, there's a lot of criteria right as to where they need to meet the criteria and then they need to, they need to showcase their data i think every company every year should have to showcase their data when it comes to diversity so data means the salary pay bands the the gender parity the you know, the, the rundown and the pie chart of what diversity looks like within their business and systematically what they're having to do for it. Because the question is, at what point are you too big not to have diverse colleagues, candidates or employees? So if every business starts from two, three people ground up, right? And then you have affinity bias and you hire people who look or feel like you. And then you grow and you grow. And then at some point you're not diverse, but then you don't have to get to until you're 250 employees that you actually have to share that. And even then companies have loopholes. So for companies, it's data transparency um, and then vocalized kind of systematic and structural change, which you are sharing out loud and keeping yourself accountable. For individuals, it's not being afraid to share your experiences transparently, be it via online media, be it podcast, be it within your friends, because actually some of these things I haven't even spoken to my friends about until very recently. And then when I started opening the conversation, they opened up and we were like, oh, we're actually going through really similar things, but we haven't been able to support each other. So that's really important. And being a, a woman of color in, in the workplace, actually some friends that I've opened up to, you know, including men or those who identify as non-binary, they didn't even know that these scenarios existed. And so it opens their eyes and it's all about educating others. And the last thing I would say, and this goes for everyone as a community, is to really make sure you know who you're associated and affiliated with. If we are affiliated, associated, doing the same things, expecting different results, then we are definitely you know, a version of crazy that we don't want to be. If you are working with the same recruitment companies, expecting them to have diverse candidates, I'm telling you now they don't have them. Because as a diverse candidate, I don't go to recruitment companies because recruiters like to tell me that I'm not good enough or I'm not capable enough when they sent me the job role, right? They like to stop talking to me or don't give me feedback. So I just guess I, I'm bored of that experience and so I won't go there. But I associate myself with communities that have diverse job boards. Think about companies that really want to upskill you and put attention towards training budgets and progression and promotion. And so for individuals, for community, it's about being very mindful of who you are affiliating and associating yourself with and being very conscious of your decisions, your consumer purchasing power and how fundamentally what you are doing, is it hindering, harming or helping diversity, inclusion and equity today, tomorrow and in the future? Yeah, that was quite a powerful statement and I think a great way to kind of summarize the entire recording. Um, I think this recording has been very useful for all of our listeners who are definitely about to approach their job industry and even those who are currently already in their job roles. And I think even for us, it might be something just for us to share with our own team as we also continue to get better as well. So thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. I know Luz and I might be slightly fan growing a little bit, <laughs> but but you know, it's it's great to see what you do. I'm a fan too. Okay, oh, yes. And even fan girling too. Okay. No, I'm, I mean I'm fan girl. I fan girl everyone and also you know I one of the things I've learned is when you own what makes you different and you own your like identity, it's much easier for you to to take control back of it. So an example being I, I talk a lot, I digress, right? But I know I do. And so it's about raising that awareness and saying, look, if I go off topic, just bring me back. And going into the workplace and saying, this is where my weaknesses are, but I know them and I'm, I'm aware. So you can't call me out on it. You can't say, hey, she talks a lot and we're going to fire her. It's like, no, that doesn't work anymore because I told you that from the beginning. So it's about really owning your power of self and going into it and saying, I know my identity. But I am extremely, 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 extremely humble to be here, especially because, as I mentioned, you know, five years ago, someone told me I would be on a podcast talking about diversity and inclusion and, and kind of, you know, amplifying my business and being an entrepreneur and et cetera, et cetera. I probably would have looked at you being like, I don't think so. Like, I, you know, 
I, I, I am that person who's extroverted, but also lost her voice and her sense of self and identity and didn't know how to speak up. So I'm just glad that I'm now able to share the tips and tricks and most importantly, where I've failed so that hopefully other people don't, don't go down the same route. And if they do, they just do it in a, in a far more relevant and, um, and kind of appropriate manner. That's amazing to share. And one of our core values that I do speak about a lot within the company that we do speak about is fail forward. So, you know, we never see failure as a setback. It just makes you stronger for whatever's to come next. So thank you so much for being so honest with our listeners about your experiences and just proving to people that, you know, you never know five years time what, what you'll be achieving. Just just keep smashing it and believe in yourself and the world will, will reward you. 100%, you know, kind of words of wisdom would be, don't even think five years, think in the next 18 months, where do I want to be? Who do I want to become? Mm. Right. Next 18 months, simple as, and I'm not talking about job roles. I'm talking about skills. You want to amplify the kind of lifestyle you want to be living and the kind of person you want to be known for. Like, you know, you want, how do people associate you when your work, your name comes up? What's the first thing that comes to their brain and then work backwards into manageable milestones and make sure that happens. I fundamentally changed my life in 18 months because my personal brand, my DNI placement, even my network only started in Jan 2019. And today we're coming to the end of 2020. So in 18 months, I've gone from someone who didn't have a job, didn't have a sense of self and didn't have a community to two TED Talks, multiple awards, reading it, leading a DNI consultancy, working with the most kind of global names, being named as, you know, top 10 future leaders or top 10 BAME, top 50 BAME entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. Now being asked, you know, uh, from, from you all and other companies to sit on podcasts and to share my learning. So 18 months is all it takes, mm. all it takes. But you need to know who you want to become so you can be that person. And don't let anybody tell you you're not good enough. Yeah, I find something else to add to that is because I've been doing something similar. It was also, and I was speaking to Lisa a little bit earlier about this, and I kept saying, there's a woman that I see in my head that I know that I can be, but I'm not that person right now. So I'm going to work on who I can, how to be that person. And I think Lisa and I are quite passionate about how to get there and speaking quite honestly with each other about what we go through and what steps we're taking to become the people that we see in our head. And the person that I saw in my head when I was 12. And how do I get there? And I think that could be quite useful for others listening is just working and it's okay to grow. You don't need to be picture perfect. I think even LinkedIn can be slightly scary sometimes because you're constantly comparing job roles to other people or, oh, wow, they're, they're 25 and they're already, you know, like an executive in this role, but I'm 25 and I'm still at an entry level or it, it can be scary. You know, if people want to follow you and see how the way that you do it there's also several ways of finding you um so obviously they could find you on linkedin you have your own podcast which i said was strategically winging it you have the lmf network as well which i believe is tied to your uh, linkedin and then also your website that has the mentoring program that i highly encourage people go and there's also instagram yeah i also made a tiktok not not the best at tiktok by any means but you know, it's something that scared me. And I thought in 18 months, where do I want to be? I probably would love my own talk show. So I might as well just start putting myself out there and seeing what people want to hear from me. Actually, in 18 months, I want to be a radio presenter. Mm -hmm. So that is what I know I want for my next 18 months. So I'm just trying to put that, you know, up, uh, alongside writing my book, because my editor's going to hear this and be like, where's the book? You never know. <laughs> um, Honestly, can we just make it an audio book? It would be so much faster for me. Honestly, it's so much better for me as well. Um, but the point is, you know, even with the book, I started this year and I made a vision board and I scribbled everything I wanted from this year. And I was like, right, I'd love to get a publishing deal. And I never thought about it again, ever. And I actually had a mutual, I had a contact that I met over COVID. I did a webinar for LinkedIn for her. You know, she, she kind of mentioned, hey, you know, what are one of your 2020 goals? I was like, you know, I really want to write a book, but I don't really know what it's going to be on. She was like, do you know what I've got? I know someone who's a publisher. Maybe you can have a conversation. So my point being, don't be afraid to share who you want to become. There's a future self that you can become. Tell people who you want to become until you start promoting yourselves and telling people and, and acknowledging the person that you want to be. No one else is going to know and then no one else is going to help, be able to help you. Mm -hmm. I can't read your mind. But until you tell me in 18 months is who I want to be, then every time an opportunity comes up or, or an association comes up or there is a there is a chance that this could support you, I can then push it your way. I'd say that power of friendship, community and conversation. 
and most importantly being really open about your goals is both important in creating more diverse and inclusive environments but most importantly in pushing you into becoming the person that you want to become and just to add to that like growth is never meant to be comfortable there will be uncomfortable times but as long as you know where you want to be you know it's a very short-term uncomfort for the long-term obviously benefits and I think everything you've said today is just fantastic and hopefully it's inspired me. I know it's inspired Julia and um, Danae as well. And I think anyone obviously who's listened to this will, will feel very empowered and I really appreciate everything you've laid out on the table and your wise words that you've shared with us all. So I think we'll kind of bring it to an end here. So once again, thank you so much, Anya, for coming on. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a couple of different ways you can connect with her. She wouldn't mind if you highly encouraged to connect with her or the network. And I think that's a wrap. Until next time, everyone. Bye. See you soon. Thanks, Anya. And thanks, guys. That's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave a review and subscribe. Do you know someone who is ready to launch out and get started on their career? Share this podcast. You can connect with us more on social media at the Career Growth Podcast. See you in the next episode.